It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. Socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. What it means is, is that government controls it through rules and regulations. The latest in politics and world affairs. Under this guise of bipartisanship and nonpartisanship, it's actually tapped down the truth. Today's current opinions and ideas. On an equal field in the battle of ideas, mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into to a world of hurt. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. You were made for this moment. And thank you to this team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Jen, Charlie, Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. Happy Hump Day to you, Producer Steve. Yeah, wonderful Wednesday. Wonderful Wednesday. Yes, it is. We've got lots of work to do on Wonderful Wednesday. Uh, but check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who contribute and support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And my friend, socialism is uh, not about free stuff. Socialism is just the carrot to get people to vote for that. Ultimately, socialism is such a bad idea, and that is basically that government will, controls everything via um, rules, regulations, high taxes, uh, and they just really control everything through, through all of that in socialism. But socialism is the gateway drug to communism where the government just basically owns everything, Producer Steve. You know, our friend Ilhan Ilmar, she's been in the news a lot lately, Mm -hmm. and she's an avowed socialist, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to sit down with her and ask her why, you know, why is, why has she not learned yet from history that socialism is, is nothing? My understanding is, is that uh, she came in as a refugee yes. to uh, America. Yes. And as we are kept, uh, connecting the dots on the um, World Economic Forum, the Davos elite group, uh, back in 1992, and, and uh, actually there's two podcasts that I've done with Dr. Jill Vecchio on the Great Reset. She's done a lot of uh, research on that. But back in 1992, which was where they came up with Agenda 21. There, I think there was like 17,000 different people there, and a number of uh, NGOs or non-governmental associ- organizations made presentations regarding this Agenda 21. And one of those um, that's very involved in the World Economic Forum and refugees is um, Lutheran Family Services. And I sat on the board for that for six years. And it took me a while to connect the dots, but I, I started to look at it and I realized this was no longer a charity. The, there was the charity component of it, but the, the bulk of the, um, the budget was coming from the federal government. And once I realized that, and then I was looking there at the top management, and, and this is going to be the same thing with the bill of the day. Top management was making uh, six figures plus all kinds of, of um, 
of perks. And as I saw, as we were, as refugees were coming in under refugee resettlement, which is uh, my point is over here with Ilhan, Ilhan Omar, uh, because I think it was Lutheran Family Services um, or Immigration Services that brought her in. Um, I said, we can't talk about Christianity, but yet we have Lutheran in our name, and we can't talk about the American idea. And they said, no, we can't because we we're taking government money, and so. She came into this country, and because of different policies, I don't think she was ever taught just the beauty of the American idea, Steve. All right. So maybe she wasn't taught it, but doesn't she perceive it uh, when she looks around her and oh, see all the things that made her being here possible? Why did she come here in the first? Well, no, never mind. That's another story. Right. That could be another. That's a really good point, because we know so many. I have so many friends that immigrated from other countries, and they are more fervent Americans now that they have uh, gotten their citizenship than many of us that are born here, Steve. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. So, uh, when you go to our website, or sign up, if you sign up for our weekly newsletter, you'll get first look at all of our upcoming guests, as well as our most recent essays, our most recent podcasts. And we rolled out last week a really great one from Pam Long, and it was is regarding um, medical surveillance from womb to tomb. And uh, that's uh, kind of the tracking system here in Colorado. So be sure and check that out. Rick Turnquist will be our guest on Friday, and he's uh, he's going to have a very interesting essay as well. So sign up. You can first look at all of those. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to our quote for today. And I asked Zach, I said, you know, I, I, what's what's a quote that that you'd like to share? And this is what he came up with. And this is by Epictetus. He was a Greek Stoic philosopher. He was born into slavery, and uh, he lived in Rome until his banishment when he went to Nicopolis in northwestern Greece for the rest of his life. His teachings were written down and published by his pupil Arian in his discourses, and uh, he was born in AD 50. He died in 135, and he said, no person is free who is not a master of himself. What do you think of that? Well, I, that's that's true, but again, we're we're our culture is morphing into something where you know people. Everybody's a victim. Yeah, well, yeah, they have no idea who they how they who they are. I'm just curious. This is two days in a row. You're quoting, uh, you know, Greek historians, Greek <laughs> philosophers. <laughs> yeah, but what was true way back then is still true now. Oh yes. It is. And the, the founders, they studied all of this. Let's go to the um, soundbite that you pulled. And, and here, we're talking Greek philosophers. Uh, my father, in little little town in western Kansas, they studied Shakespeare. He went to a one-room uh, uh, schoolhouse when he was a kid. Uh, he would quote Shakespeare to me as a kid, when I was a kid. And we're not teaching literature. We're not teaching science. We're not teaching reading, writing, cursive. Steve, there's only a certain amount of hours in the school day. And if you're focusing on teaching kids that they're victims and oppressors, if you're teaching the, that whole CRT, CRT thing, if you, or whatever iteration it is, uh, if you're sexualizing our children with uh, and, and taking time out of the school day to do that, it's no wonder that our kids are falling behind, and it's no wonder that our kids are having mental health challenges. I marvel at the quote-unquote, I'm doing air quotes here, people, educators who haven't figured out that basic concept. How many hours in the day, how many hours are the kids 
in the facility and you're taking every time one of these new things comes down the pike you're taking away teaching time for the most fundamental things in life right so in florida uh, there has been legislation going through that basically says in school we are not going to be teaching basically sex and all the different sex acts uh, to our little kids and of course the the radical activists have said that oh it's it's trying to discriminate against gays they they've called it the don't say gay bill that's not the case what it is is we do not want to teach uh, all the sex stuff to our little kids and that's why our my friend Kane is saying let's boycott these government schools and he is working, putting together through Task Force Freedom to come up with um, ways to put together homeschool co-ops, which I think is a great idea. I can't tell you how many people, more and more educators are reaching out to me saying, get your kids out of these government schools, get them out, get them out. And uh, so then I, I think you found this soundbite, right? By- yeah, let's not identify the pe- person speaking okay. right off the bat. Let's let it play out. I think as soon as people hear it, it's 45 seconds long, they'll know exactly who it is. Okay. This is a political wedge issue and an attempt to win a culture war. And they're doing that in a way that is harsh and cruel uh, to a community of kids, especially. I'm, I'm like going to get emo- uh, I'm going to get emotional about this issue because I just it's horrible. But uh, but, you know, it's it's like kids who are bullied and they, 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 like all these leaders are, are taking steps to hurt them and hurt their lives and hurt their families. And you look at some of these laws in these states and it is going after parents who are in loving relationships who have kids. It's completely outrageous. Sorry, I, I'm just, this is an issue that makes me completely crazy. But it is an issue that is a political wedge issue. It is not a reflection of where the country is. And the Academy Award goes to Jen Snarky. Well, you, you know, the, the great actors and actresses, they have that gift, that mm-hmm. talent to mm-hmm. cry on command. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering, is, I mean, I know she has kids. Is she, by in this soundbite, is she acknowledging that if her first grader were, were taught this kind of stuff, that she's perfectly fine with it? Or is it just okay for your kids? I don't know. No. I, I I have no I I don't know, but I know that it's not appropriate, no matter whose children it is, to be doing this. And I, 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 let's let's teach our, the ABCs. How about how to count? How to add? Let's start with cursive. And and uh, this is just it's it's unbelievable. But good for Ron DeSantis down there in Florida. I tell you, um, they're doing a they're doing a good job there, really trying to push back. She's she did say something that is very true, and this is a culture war. Yes. This is a culture war, and we have given up so much ground in this culture war, but the veil is off, people are understanding what's going on, and this is not about caring about kids. Ultimately, pushing this transgender agenda, and uh, we had the mom on a few weeks ago uh, that, uh, that said that our 11 to 13-year-old girls are really being targeted, but they're grooming them that they're grooming them in in kindergarten they're even going to try to think about a government-run preschool here in Colorado do, do you think that this legislature and and this governor really cares about our little kids they want to get a hold of them and indoctrinate them and that's why we have to push back Steve Mark Marks or Lennon said give me your kids 
Or was it one of the the German the the Nazi Ooh. heroes? Let's, and I use well, that I term very at, loosely. I was looking at Stalin and Lenin quotes, and one of them did say, "Give me your four-year-olds, yeah. and in one generation we'll have communism," or something along that line. Well, to complete the story, uh, DeSantis is you know who is the biggest, uh, most visible LGBT organization in Florida? I Disney. Don't. Oh. oh, and they're dragging They're, I mean, I guess they kind of hinted at it before just to see if they get them to back down. They did not. So DeSantis is going after Disney. Yes, because they've had very preferential uh, treatment regarding zoning and where Disney World is. Yeah, their whole operation is kind of, uh, what do you say, nested in special, special privileges fav- yes. and whatnot. And uh, DeSantis is saying, well, we'll just have to see about Maybe this. Maybe we should just revisit that. So uh, let's go to break. Uh, and when we come back, we'll continue with many of these headlines. And uh, I do appreciate you all joining us. So stay tuned. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned Remax realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. I greatly appreciate it. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity on these issues uh, and look at them through this lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And uh, we are in a culture war. There is no doubt about that. Jen Snarky was correct in her uh, Academy Award war- uh, winning performance there yesterday. Uh, but that's why we do the show, Steve. That's why we do everything that we do is to help you, out, our listeners, our valued listeners, uh, to get your brains around these issues. Because we know that the government-run media is not going to to show all sides. We know that our kids are being indoctrinated through our government-run schools, we realize that big tech and government have been very connected. And so that is why it's grassroots. It is grassroots. It's us talking to each other, thinking like the founders did, searching for truth, having curiosity. That's why we do this is to help you. And it helps us uh, immensely. Uh, Steve, you and I are learning so much every day. You know, you are amongst uh, other great thinkers or because here's why that uh, the clip that I pulled that from came off of Fox News and the former White House press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, mm-hmm. she kind of set that up before they actually let Saki roll. Uh, she said, if she wants to cry, uh, tell her to cry over the 60 million aborted babies. 
Yes. That's something worth crying over. So I thought, well, that's just what Kim said yesterday. <laughs> we were ahead of the curve on that. Uh, let's see here. What do we want to talk about? Oh, let's talk about the bill of the day. Oh, boy. Uh, you can you can see this gets my dander up. Uh, primary sponsors are Representative Stephen Woodrow, Democrat, Tony Exum, a Democrat, Senators Chris Colker, Democrat, Julie Gonzalez, Democrat, a grant program providing uh, responses to homelessness. And it says it creates the Connecting Coloradans Experiencing Homelessness with Services, Treatment, and Housing Supports Grant Program, administered by the Division of Housing in the Department of Local Affairs. So uh, let me just break this down for you. All these bureaucrats are going to get a lot more money, and we're not going to solve the problem. That's what's really going to happen. It just makes me think of uh, the little quip I always pull out, the Department of Redundancy Department. When you roll down all the list of, you know, uh, this thing trickles down the different levels. Here we go again. Yes, it's $105 million. And I, w- I was downtown. I uh, had parked and I walked over to the Capitol the other day when I uh, went to testify regarding the Senate Bill 22153, which consolidates the power of our elections all within the uh, Colorado Secretary of State's office, all within the Secretary of State. And my friends, if Republicans were doing this, I would be adamantly opposed to this as well. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And these Democrats down at the state house they act like they'll never lose another election and my gosh if, if in fact you centralize the control of all the elections in the secretary of state's office maybe that's the case steve but anyway i digress this is 105 million dollars it's to be it requires a transfer of 105 million dollars from the economic recovery and relief cash fund to fund and administer this grant program and sets forth specified reporting requirements pertaining to the grant program. So right there, um, I'm not seeing that anybody is being helped that's homeless right there. No, this is another bureaucracy. They're going to do reports. They're going to sit around. We're going to talk about our stakeholders. They're all going to get cushy salaries. And they're also going to have benefit. And I'm talking about the people running the programs. Well, in the meantime, the more money that you throw at something, um, the worse the problem gets because... If they solve the problem, then they've worked themselves out of a a job. They've worked themselves out of the grant money. So do you think this is really going to solve any homelessness? This is a homelessness industrial complex, Steve. The term industrial complex, I guess the one those of us our age uh, are most familiar with (laughs) is uh, Eisenhower, as is uh, in his farewell speech, warned against the industrial military complex. And, you know, we get what that was at the time, but the term industrial com- uh, industrial complex now, you have rightfully tagged several different uh, entities entities that are just basically a repeat of the same thing that Eisenhower was talking about. Right. And if you get government involved to solve the problem, it's not going to happen. All these NGOs, all these nonprofits that, again, picking winners and losers then, which nonprofits will get the money? And many times it's um, it's cronies. So this can become cronyism. They have the problem over here, homelessness, which people really would like to solve. You know how you solve it? Is First of all, go back to this quote that, um, that we had today from uh, Epictetus. He said, no person is free who's not a master of himself. And... And so let's reduce taxes, let's reduce rules, let's reduce regulations. 
which is the American idea, and let every person um, pursue their life, their liberty, and their happiness. Now, there will always be people that will need help. And that is what we used to do in America through charity. And Americans are the most charitable people in the world. And it's because it's because of this American idea, the abundance. We, we've been very charitable with that, Steve. And we would reach out. We would reach out, we reach out to our fellow man. I had a friend, Steve, and um, she's since passed on, but she grew up in Loveland. And she ended up being very influential in what you would say old Denver social circles. And I met her when I was doing a lot of work, a lot of volunteer work uh, with the Junior Symphony Guild, which um, basically it raised money to bring symphony music into the schools. But anyway, she, she said that when she was a kid, that if somebody fell up on hard times, they had what was called a pound party. And they would all get together and they'd bring a pound of flour, a pound of sugar, a pound of coffee to help people get through those hard times. But they also expected those people to to work and to help themselves to get through those hard times as well. And so when government got involved in quote-unquote charity, uh, it didn't have that requirement. If all of us are, are giving something and our na- to our neighbor who's fallen on hard times, and then we find out that our neighbor is not working and they're sitting home all day watching TV, drinking beer, or whatever, we're going to quit giving them money, right? And so there was a more of accountability back then. Well, back to the bill of the day here. I mean, I know it's what you're referring to. Uh, I know who your favorite modern-day president is, but let's talk about your favorite uh, modern-day vice president. Wasn't it? Oh, it was last year. I just don't remember how long ago. Was it like third quarter, fourth quarter? Kamala Harris was going to go make a trip to Central America to find, again, here's my air quotes, the root cause of illegal immigration. The root cause. Like, we didn't, we had no idea what it was or is. What is the root cause of homelessness there? Where is, you know, this administration, this state administration, uh, in this quest to understand what homelessness really is? Uh, there are a number of homeless that uh, there are addiction challenges. Yeah. And so that is something that should be addressed instead of throwing more money at the, uh, you know, at the quote unquote homeless problem. Well, then it becomes, in a sense, a Band-Aid, right? Yes, it is a Band-Aid, but it's a Band-Aid of $105 million that uh, once again, people will sit around, bureaucrats will sit around. Uh, interested parties will sit around and they'll talk about uh, reporting. They're going to you know, do research, and it's not going to help the problem whatsoever. And um, we're seeing so much of that in Colorado. It's really frustrating because then uh, taking money from people, and it looks like it's probably coming from some of the money that was printed by the federal government. We need to quit taking the money from the federal government. They don't have the money. They're printing it. They're taking it from our children. Uh, they're creating debt. We need to quit doing that. We've got to get the spending under control, Steve. Which would Let's go over to, that was one other thing on one of the headlines that Patty had um, pulled out, and that was the amount of fraud uh, regarding the COVID relief programs here in Colorado. This is from the Denver Post. It says, uh, Attorney General Phil Weiser has a task force dedicated to unemployment fraud and is backing fraud legislation at the State House. 
says Colorado officials know widespread fraud siphoned off millions of dollars from COVID-19 relief programs that poured into the state over the past two years. Now it's a matter of what to do about it. Says perpetrators seized on the deep-pocketed programs like boosted unemployment benefits and the Paycheck Protection Program. Those relief efforts were deployed rapidly with few guardrails early on to deter fraudsters as leaders focused on getting money out to people in need quickly. Don't you remember that, Steve? Now, as I look back, I had a number of friends that, uh, in in fact, some of the people here at the station, somebody had filed unemployment um, um, in their name. I mean, it uh, it was rampant. And once again, you get government involved, and they didn't care whether or not the money really went to help people because they were printing it as fast as they could. Well, it's like a hacker. Uh, obviously, a very smart person with a talent, a gift for the technology, but using it totally in the wrong way. And these people are out there saying, oh, wow, look at all this money headed for Colorado. I need to get in on that. Mm-hmm. And they did. And you, the state wasn't ready for it. They knew, you know, It was public knowledge that this money was coming to the you know to the state but they weren't prepared to to how to properly you know hand it out well obviously uh and um, so they handed that out as fast as possible and then it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you're going to have a lot of fraud with that as well so now now they're going to do something about it after all this time remember that meme that you found the the um the most difficult thing about two weeks to flatten the curve is now, what, over two years. <laughs> uh, I, go ahead. When you go to the mask mandate, do you still want to touch yep, on that? I, you read my mind. You're so well, good. I woke, uh, woke up yesterday, and on the drive-in, the, the, the country was celebrating this this grand event. As a matter of fact, the, the two guys who took over Limbaugh's show, they were in their first hour, their first couple segments for sure, they were inviting people to call in people who had already been on a flight sometime yesterday morning, whether it was a pilot, a flight attendant, a regular passenger, just to share their experience. And people were just celebratory. But yet, we still have these certain strongholds. One of them is in New York City area. Matter of fact, the, uh, what do they call themselves? The police, not the regular police, Port Authority police. Uh, The Port Authority was still saying, eh, we're not sure. And the, the bottom line is you could fly into one of the New York area airports without a mask, but as soon as you step on the jetway, you had to put it on. It's, it's, it's madness. It's absolute madness. But the, the veil is off that this is about control. But uh, late-breaking guest for tomorrow, and that is Leslie Manukian. We've had her on before, and she's the founder of Health Freedom Defense Fund. And I got an email from her, and it, I hadn't connected. I hadn't really looked at who had uh, brought the lawsuit regarding this mask mandate. And it was her. And so she and her, I think her lead attorney are going to be on tomorrow to talk about this. And she's just giddy with excitement. But again, remember all all those conversations that we had during this whole COVID thing and just the, the onerous um, assault on our freedom. So this is very exciting. So Leslie's going to be on tomorrow. I can't wait to talk with her about that, Producer Steve. Well, the White House came out right, very quickly yesterday morning and ex- announced their disappointment in that ruling. And I guess they're going to appeal. It's like, you, you're the cat's out of the bag. You're too late. Yeah. You go ahead and you appeal it and somehow get it brought back in. You're toast come November. <laughs> well... Uh, uh, we, well, you're, I, let me rephrase that. You're already toast. You'll just be a darker shade of toast. Well, um, my, the, 
the thing about it is, is uh, as we look at November, well, I, and and we actually, I have started to see some Democrats are changing their affiliation to Republicans because they can see the writing on the wall. So, my friends, we have to be really responsible on who we are electing. We need to make sure that we are electing grassroots candidates who will represent, be representatives of we the people. Let's go to break. Our next guest, I am very excited to talk with, and it is, is um, Maurice Hold on here. Maurice Emmer. I got it here. He's a retired tax attorney, and he's been involved in Colorado politics for a while since he moved uh, moved here. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about election integrity. There's some lawsuits uh, that are, are being um, worked on regarding Jenna Griswold. And uh, so you won't want to miss this. This is going to be very important. Stay tuned. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. I greatly appreciate it. On the line with us is Maurice Emmer. He's a retired tax attorney. He practiced um, for 37 years. He retired to Aspen. And he's been uh, involved in Colorado politics for about 12 years. And he became interested in election integrity after the 2020 election. Maurice, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Kim. Nice to, nice to join you this morning. Uh, I think many of us became interested in election integrity after the 2020 election, but it's been a journey. Uh, I remember almost immediately after that, there were those on both sides of the aisle saying, nothing to see here, move along, nothing to see here, move along. It takes a while to start to to unpack, understand what has happened. But as this is occurring, Maurice, it's it's, um, rather interesting, the information that's coming out. What, What do you see about that? Well, I see a lot of things. Uh, one is there have been countless allegations made about election irregularities in various states, uh, and they range all over the board from just suspicions to rumors to statistical anomalies uh, to pretty hard evidence. Uh, but uh, and, and it's very troubling because all of this put together 
justifiably results in many people having lack of confidence in the elections generally. Uh, but uh, it's been very difficult for anyone to put together a case with, uh, like, courtroom-quality evidence, uh, carry it forward to any kind of judgment to be able to demonstrate to legislators or the public at large just what the problems were. So it's very frustrating for people working to try to clean up the elections. Uh, that leaves that leaves people who are trying to... Uh, to do that, to clean them up, uh, facing constant challenges that, well, you never proved anything, you never mm-hmm. proved anything, very frustrating. That's what I see. And One that, thing I see. Yeah, that has been the thing, is show me the proof. And it looks like there is proof coming forward. Uh, and I've, I've read the executive summaries of the Mesa County voting reports. Have, what's your thoughts on those? Those voting systems reports. Well, they they, they contain uh, a lot of proof, uh, but not proof of particular uh, vote manipulation. They contain a, uh, almost conclusive, I would say, proof that the electronic voting systems in Colorado are not legal to use. There's there's state law in Colorado uh, that tells us what the standards are for systems that can be used electronic systems and the systems being used don't meet those standards and all the proof for that is in those first three mesa county uh, reports Uh, but again very frustrating because you can't you can get very few legislators i would say no no more than three or four members of the state assembly will pay any attention to that and uh uh and and you can't get uh more than two or three county clerks to pay any attention to it. So, again, proof is there. That proof is really solid that our electronic voting systems don't meet statutory standards. That's, uh, as I said, conclusive in my mind. Okay. What about this? uh, Have you watched this Senate Bill 153? I went down and testified uh, at the House Committee on that a couple of days ago. But I've read the bill, and... uh, I, I'm, what I'm so concerned about on this, Maurice, is that it centralizes the power over our elections within the Secretary of State's office with the Secretary of State. And whether or not, if, if the Republicans were pushing this as well, I would be still adamantly opposed to this because this is not the way our elections are supposed to be run. Yeah, I agree with that. But this bill is a continuation of a trend that's been going on for a number of years. Uh, and and it includes the requirement for mail-in voting. That is a statewide requirement. I forget when that became state law, but it hasn't been that many years. Uh, it is state law in Colorado that all elections have to be by mail-in ballot. They call it mail elections, which means the ballots are mailed out, and then they can be mailed back in and they can be carried back in. Uh, and that that is a further centralization Uh and the use of electronic voting systems is a further centralization, and the and the the, uh, the registered voter database is centralized uh, in Denver. Uh, so it may, you know when you centralize any system, uh, you make it much more vulnerable to uh, manipulation. I won't say fraud; I'll just say manipulation. Uh, the beauty of having uh, election processes disseminated out into the counties 
is that it's much harder to interfere with them. You might be able to interfere in this or that county, but it's harder to interfere statewide when uh, the processes are, are disseminated. But our electronic voting systems are standardized. There are only two vendors that have been approved for use in Colorado, and 62 counties use one system, two counties use the other. And you know, Maurice, that's I said that as well. But I had talked to a county clerk, and he said it's sixty counties that use one system. That two counties are still doing, um, I think, um, um, paper ballot or hand counts or whatever, and then two have a different system. So um, he corrected me on that, and so I thought I better throw that out there. Well, there are there are so there are a couple of counties that do hand counts, but they still have the electronic system. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but and they're smaller count. They're smaller counties, so they, they really don't count count too much in the overall effect. Okay. Uh, but the point is that the the uh, conduct the conduct of our elections is is carried on by a private company, uh, not by our not by our government, not even by our county governments. If you look at the process, you could you could sit any county clerk down and ask what goes on in that computer when it processes the ballot and the clerk would not be able to tell you because it's all done by software that, first of all, the clerk can never understand. And second, the vendor prohibits anyone from, uh, from looking into, and they consider it trade secrets. Nobody can copy it. Nobody can see it. Nobody can can understand uh, uh, what what goes on inside the machine. The third Mesa County report was extremely revealing. Well, would you like me to summarize what those three reports? That said? would be fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So the first one uh, points out uh, that overall the, um, the system in Mesa County, which is typical of the systems uh, provided by the major vendor in Colorado. Um, have uh, numerous, numerous uh, vulnerabilities to unauthorized access. That's what that that report is about. Without going into the details, that's what it's about. Uh, uh, vulnerabilities that violate the uh, statutory standards in Colorado, which are drawn from standards promulgated by the Federal Election Commission in 2002. These are not just kind of like suggestions like a Soviet train, train schedule. They're, they're actual they're hundreds of pages of standards for the operation of a computer system, which is what those systems are. They're computer systems. And the second report focuses on two or three particular vulnerabilities and shows how easy it is uh, for just about anybody to figure out and guess the passwords to get into the system and uh, to manipulate what's in the system, even from a smartphone. Uh, Then the third report, which is extremely troubling, uh, shows that in two successive elections in Mesa County, when the system was processing ballots, it created additional databases. It's only supposed to create one one set of databases uh, to process the ballots internally in the computer. And in two successive elections, it created two sets of databases, and they do not reconcile with each other, and they do not reconcile with the vote totals. So all of that, you know, makes you wonder. And the clerks had no idea. They had no idea. 
any of this was going on. They just, the ballots get scanned and the wheels turn in the computer, metaphorically, and numbers come out. That's it. Without these these uh, investigations in Mesa, Mesa County, no one, no one would have known this. I hope that's helpful to understand what the report said. It is. And so, Maurice, I'm a real novice on this, so this is going to be just a a question regarding a hand count. So many have said, oh, my gosh, we need to then do a hand count to reconcile that with what, uh, what the electronic system came up with. If there's two different systems, are there ballots that would back that up or uh and i guess uh, and i guess the secretary of state would have to give permission on that tell me about that well okay um uh this senate bill that you mentioned i think it was debated in the house last night and i don't know how late they went i got up this morning and uh and checked a couple of sources, and I, I thought they would probably be debating that bill all night. Maybe they did, but I didn't find any information on it. But that bill, um, among many other things, would require every county to use electronic voting systems. would not make it optional. Right now, it's clearly up to the individual county, and it's the choice of the county commissioners. It's not the clerk's choice. It's the county commissioner's choice. Whether to use an electronic voting system, uh, and uh, uh, then the bill says, uh, Maurice, just a, a, because I had read the bill on that, and and when I was down there, I realized that I was needed to make this clarification. When they say electronic voting systems, that is to count the count the votes, right? So that is the requirement. Is that correct? Well, it's it's processing the ballots from the time they are scanned into a system. So after ballots are received, they're scanned, and then the information that is captured is processed by an electronic voting system. Got it. And I'll say processed and not counted because we don't know all the things that are done to that, to that, that information. It, it appears to be a lot more than just counted. But the, but it, the system spits out a count. You know, it says... Mm-hmm. Joe got 10 votes, and Mary got 12 votes, and this, this ballot measure got 20 votes. Yeah, it's the system that spits out the final results. Got that's, it. Okay. That's the electronic voting system. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So it, 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 requires, it requires every county, I think, maybe above a threshold population, uh, but maybe not, uh, to have an electronic voting system. It, it's virtually statewide. And then, uh, very uh, tellingly, it prohibits... Uh, counties from making images of the data uh, in the systems. When I say that data, really of this whole system, this is what happened. Uh, we're getting into the Mesa County thing now. Uh, the, 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 the dust up in Mesa County had to do with the fact that the clerk there, Tina Peters, caused uh, someone to make a full image of the hard drive in the uh, Mesa County server. The server is the main unit, the main computer in that electronic system. And um, uh, then that those images have been analyzed by a lot of cybersecurity experts. That's how we have uh, these results of the reports indicating the vulnerabilities and the very curious creation of multiple databases when processing ballots. Uh, 
uh, the, the Senate bill would prohibit clerks from doing that, or counties, anyone in the county, from making images of the, of the systems, which means nobody could examine them. Nobody could know what they're doing and what they're not doing. Uh, and uh, those are two of the most troubling aspects of the bill requirement that electronic voting systems be used. That pretty much says no hand counts. Mm-hmm. And then no imaging, so you can't know what they're doing. Well, that would be just like, you know, saying, well, we'll ship all the ballots off to a warehouse in Ohio, and some people we don't know will do something to them, and they'll send back an email saying, well, here are the results of your election. That's essentially the same thing. It is rather remarkable. And I'm talking with Maurice Emmer. He is an attorney. And uh, we're talking about election integrity, and uh, we need to go to break. When we come back, Maurice, I have some additional questions for you. Uh, It seems like the more you're talking, the more questions I have, so stay tuned. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of The Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to The Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. I'm talking with Maurice Emmer, and he is a retired tax attorney. He practiced uh, that for seven, or 37 years. He lives in Aspen. He's been involved in GOP politics for about 12 years here in Colorado. Maurice, as I was down at the Capitol on Tuesday regarding the hearing on 153, this election, uh, this election bill that basically consolidates all the power within the Secretary of State's office, and it seemed that one of the things that that they continued to talk about was that there was an unauthorized image taken of of this hard drive, and then it was shown to the public. And we just can't have that. And I was thinking about it. If there was nothing on there that they were concerned that the public should see, then I don't think we would have Senate Bill 153. I know that's conjecture on my part, but I'm trying to think about this. If there was no there there, if everything was fine, why is there this big brouhaha on this whole thing, Maurice? Well, first of all, there is no existing law in Colorado, of which I'm aware, that prohibits a county official for making an image of a hard drive uh, in the in the electronic voting system of that county, and there's no there's no election rule, uh, let alone statute that prohibits it. Uh, although Senate Bill um, 153 would prohibit it without the secretary's permission, which he would never get with the Secretary of State. But 
they 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 they, uh, they claim it's unauthorized. And anything they don't like, they say is unauthorized. But they never cite an authority that uh, that uh, makes it a requirement to get their authorization in the first place. So that's all just jargon and it's PR and it's the uh, uh, the Senate bill would prohibit imaging hard drives for exactly this reason. If that's something that the public they don't want the public to know, uh, election data become subject to uh, Twitter censorship. Twitter doesn't like it, they take you down, right? Mm-hmm. Facebook doesn't like it, they take you down. The Secretary of State doesn't like it, she takes you down. And she ought to be doing exactly the opposite. She ought to be publishing every, she ought to be requiring every county. Make an image before each election, make an image after each election, put it up on the internet. So anybody can look at it and test it and satisfy himself there's nothing, no, no funny business going on, but the opposite is true here. So, you know, whenever there's an attempt to conceal, people should be suspicious, especially when it's an attempt by public officials. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so what, well, a couple of things. I uh, had taken a look at this, and I had done a piece, it's uh, titled, If You're getting a lot of flack, you're probably over the target. And I, I talked about the Mesa County reports. Um, but I went through 153, and it gives enormous amount of power to the Secretary of State to promulgate rules. And uh, that's very concerning to me, and I know that you're, you're concerned about that as well, Maurice. She's already promulgating rules, uh, uh, even before 153 becomes law. She promulgated so-called emergency rules last fall. Uh, state law allows uh, state agencies to promulgate uh, rules or regulations in the same thing uh, and, and mark them as emergency <laughs> that they therefore go into effect right away without any public comment, but only for 90 days. And so she did that with a bunch of rules last fall. Uh, when her hair was on fire, Secretary of State's hair was on fire over the Mesa County images. Uh, she just did that again uh, uh, in, I think, February uh, with another set of rules. The second set of rules is, is the one that says you can't have, uh, you can't make images. Um, and that, that's even before 153 uh, is enacted that says the same thing. And she just last Friday published uh pretty much the same rules in final form, final and permanent form, that will require a hearing uh, and uh, it will and it, it will allow public comment. Uh, and then those will go into effect permanently in June, I think, um, after which uh, it will be possible for citizens to sue her to get the rules reversed. Whether that will be successful, I don't know. By the way, I wanted to mention we do have I do have a friend in Rio Blanco County who uh, worked very hard with the commissioners there and persuaded them to uh, terminate their uh, contract with the vendor of the electronic voting system there. And they they have uh, the commissioners in Rio Blanco have decided that they would not continue their contract beyond its expiration in October. And he wanted a shout-out for Rio Blanco for having the guts to do that. And so I'm giving him a shout-out right now. I hope he's listening. 
Oh, that's awesome. That is just awesome. Uh, one citizen making a difference and uh, and then <clears throat> elected representatives who have really understood their, their, um, that they represent the people. So that's awesome. Um, Maurice, what about any lawsuits against Jenna Griswold right now? Is there any anything going on legally? Yeah, there are a couple of lawsuits. One is in Denver District Court challenging some of those rules I mentioned that she promulgated last fall. And uh, then there's an, another uh, lawsuit going on. She sued the clerk in Elbert County because, uh, guess what? He made some images. He made images of all the hard drives in his system before uh, what they call the trusted build last summer. Trusted build is the what I would call really ironic term that's used to describe a, a what's supposed to be a system upgrade. Uh, last summer, uh, employees of the Secretary of State and the vendors of the uh, voting systems went county to county, uh, stuck a thumb drive in the server, uh, let the computer do something, pulled the thumb drive out and said, okay, your system is now updated. And they call that a trusted build. Uh, it was that process that, that was suspicious to Tina Peters in Mesa County. And so she actually asked the people, uh, uh, is this going to do more than update software? Is it going to delete files? And they told her, yes, it will delete everything on the server. Uh, so she, that's what motivated her, she says, to uh, to have an image made, uh, both before and after this process. They call the trusted build. Well, the, the clerk in Elbert County uh, had a similar experience. Uh, one of his employees asked the uh, Secretary of State's employee, will this delete files? And he admitted that they would. Um, the clerk in Albert made his own images, but only before the trusted build, not after. And uh, the Secretary of State, again, her hair caught on fire when she learned about that. She's been trying to get her hands on the images. I don't know what she'd like to do with them, but you can use your own imagination. Uh, uh, what would happen to those images if she got her hands on them? So there's litigation in Elbert County about whether she can get her hands on the hard drives. Now Fox News has intervened about a week ago with a subpoena. They want copies of those hard drives because they're engaged in defamation litigation with the vendor of a lawsuit. And they think these uh, images would be evidence in their defamation suit. So there's a battle going on there over that. And there are also claims made by the clerk against Griswold about the illegality of the system themselves, the points I made about the Federal Election Commission standards being violated. So there's a lot going on, a lot. Wow, there is a lot going on. Maurice Emmer, we have just about a minute left. How could you button this up for our listeners today? Well, what I, you know what, what I find most frustrating right now is there is hard evidence that the systems are illegal. And the county commissioners in every county have the authority to terminate their use. And yet, only a couple of counties like Rio Blanco and one or two others are taking steps to do it. And I say county commissioners are cowards. They won't face their duties under the law, and they should be more, they should fulfill their legal duties. And they should say, I'm not going to use illegal systems. There's plenty of reason to doubt that these are legal. And, um, 
and I'm, I'm from Missouri. You're going to have to persuade me that they're legal and hard <laughs> evidence, uh, and uh, and we're just going to quit using them until that happens. You know, we're we're all kind of sunk. We're stuck with, with illegal systems, and we don't know what they do. So those are my final words. Wow. So, Maurice Emmer, this is a lot of information. As we are coming into this election cycle, I've wondered what we could do here in Colorado. It sounds like we need to get busy and be in contact with our county commissioners on this. Maurice Emmer, this was just a wealth of information. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, my pleasure, Kim. Have a good day. Okay, you too. And uh, our quote for today is from Epictetus, and he said, It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. Uh, So my friends today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important story. Out here in Colorado, we had a sex education bill that was passed. It was signed by the governor and put into law. I just can't believe what is happening to uh, public education. The latest in politics and world affairs. We are now using policy that if you don't affirm something, that they use policy then to take away your businesses. Today's current opinions and ideas. Kids are just being bombarded with darkness. Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation. You know, we need to get back to letting our kids be kids. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Leslie, guess what today is. It's hump day. It is hump day, and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And that weekly newsletter, you get first look at our upcoming guests, as well as our most recent op, um, essays and podcasts. And so it's great to be in the know on everything. We really work to respect your email inbox and only send out the newsletter once a week. Every once in a while, we might have something uh, that we might send out to you, but um, normally we try to really honor your inbox there. Uh, uh, Let's see, where am I at? Oh, I have to say thank you. Thank you to this team that I get to work with and to all you listeners out there. You're each treasured, valued. You have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this time in history, so embrace it. And this team I work with, producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting, it uh, it takes a lot of us to put this together, producer Steve. Yes, but ultimately you are the one at the wheel, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, we're just down in the engine room doing our thing, <laughs> waiting for orders from the bridge. Oh, is that what it is? Okay, well, uh, we look at these issues through this lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, socialism is not about free stuff. That's just the carrot to get you to vote for it. Socialism is such a bad idea that it ultimately has to get down to force. And my friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's rights, their property, their freedom, or their livelihood via force, whether with a weapon, policy, Policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the Davos elites at the World Economic Forum thinking, wanting, telling us how to live our lives, Producer Steve. 
Yeah, and they uh, that's nothing new. Uh, you know, the Davos gang just didn't come out of thin air just in the last year or two. They've been busy for quite a while. Quite some time, that is for sure. We've got a full house right now. Uh, and in studio with me is a former Lakewood City Councilwoman, former state legislator, good friend of mine, Ramey Johnson. Ramey, it is so great to have you here. Thank you, Kim, for having us both. I appreciate it. Thank you. And Laura Stack, and she is the founder of Johnny's Ambassadors, and uh, we're going to be talking about marijuana. Uh, Laura, your your son Johnny, you tragically lost him um, because of um, marijuana addiction, correct? Is that the correct way to say that? That is correct. He died, sadly, by suicide in November of 2019 as a result of dabbing high-concentrate marijuana here in Colorado, and we formed the nonprofit Johnny's Ambassadors Youth Marijuana Prevention in his name to educate parents, teens, and communities about the very real dangers of today's high-potency THC products. Well, Ramey uh, connected us because this is an issue that she's uh, been very concerned about for quite some time, and we thought that it was appropriate that you be in studio today to address this because it's April 20th. Uh, and we'll talk about it when we get into the second and third segment. Last segment of the show is our call-ins. And Ramey and Laura will be here. We can talk about uh, that issue. I want to hear what's on your radar. We had uh, a great conversation with Maurice Emmer in the previous hour regarding the Mesa County voting systems and uh, just just our elections. So that was really important as well. But uh, several things. First of all, uh, Helen Raleigh and I are doing our third media training workshop. It's April 30th. And it's 8.30 in the morning till 12.30 uh, in the, um, p.m. And uh, Ramey, actually, you went through our, our second one. And you can oh, hold on. Just there we go. And, um, and putting you on the spot. Was it, was it worth the time and the money? Absolutely. And yes, I did. Oh, hold on just one second because uh, uh, I think we need to make sure. There we go. Uh, okay, now hit it. Okay. Absolutely, Kim. I did take it. No matter if you're every day speaking or not, this this class is actually extremely valuable. You give honest, sincere tips on how to communicate better so that whatever your message is, you can get it out there in a way that people can understand. It's awesome. I've learned a lot from Helen Raleigh. Uh, she has really lived the American dream. Uh, she came to America from China, and it's so interesting to me that many times immigrants love the American idea more than those of us that have grown here, but she is the the American success story. And she's a senior contributor for The Federalist, which is a great publication. She's on national uh, shows on a regular basis. But one of the things that she has taught us is to never affirm a negative. So if someone says to you, you are a conspiracy theorist. And I, I saw that down at the State House when on on the Tuesday when I went down to testify regarding that election bill. There were caring people, uh, everyday people that kind of started out with, I'm not an, a, 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 an election conspiracy theorist. And I thought, now Helen would have told us, do not affirm that negative. And uh, you want to say, I am a person who cares about free, fair, honest elections here in America. And that would be, I think, a different way to, to handle that. So I've learned that from Helen at our media training workshop. She's extremely impressive. She's tiny in stature. You would never expect it <laughs> from a woman like her to be such a powerhouse. 
um, I can't speak highly enough, actually, for both of you, Kim. Okay. Well, I didn't really set that up, but I guess I kind of did. Thanks, Ramey. Of course. And uh, again, you can sign up at my website. That is at Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And uh, you can register there. We have a uh, limited number of seats, so highly recommend that. And then also, as many of you know, I have such a heart for our veterans. And we have our America's Veterans Story Show at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoons here. But Paula Sarles, uh, my friend that I've gotten to know, she is really, it's her her dream right now to remodel the uh, United States Marine uh, Corps Memorial that is out at uh, 6th and uh, Colfax. And uh, the plans look beautiful. And one of the ways that you can do that is to buy a brick. They're going to have these different walkways. And you can buy a brick to honor your family member or someone that you care about uh, and memorialize them. And Mother's Day's coming up, Father's Day, birthdays. It is a great way to um, honor them. I, I got a brick for my father. He was absolutely thrilled. He was not a Marine. He was in the Air Force. So there will be one walkway for the other branches of service. But go to the USMCMemorialFoundation.org. You can just donate or you could buy a brick. But uh, this is something that we can do to say thank you to those that, that have been willing to uh, put their lives on the line or have put their lives on have lost their lives for us so that we live in freedom uh, next thing I want to go to bill of the day and Ramey I don't know if you heard me because you were probably driving in but this is another issue that you and I are very concerned about and that is homelessness and this is uh, house bill 22 1377 it's all Democrats that are the sponsors on it it's a grant program providing responses to homelessness. It's $105 million. It's coming from the Economic Recovery and Relief Cash Fund, and it uh, will um, fund this grant program. And it has all these different reporting requirements, and I can tell you what the meetings look like with all these bureaucrats and politicians and interested parties. They get together, and they talk about the stakeholders and about reporting, and they will not do anything to solve the problem, because if they solve the problem, then the money would go away. I know that I'm being very caustic on that, Ramey. Any, any comment on that? <laughs> yes, I would like to comment. It has nothing to do with homelessness. It's about people creating jobs for themselves and looking good. The public perception looks great. If you want to address homelessness, there's addiction problems, there's mental health problems, there's alcohol, substance abuse. Those things need to be addressed and treated. We need to have a way to get people to a higher level. And they also need to be working creating jobs, being productive in society. You don't feel good about yourself when you're sitting on the street. And, and, and just a hand out to somebody, I think it is actually somewhat degrading. Uh, I, 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 there are people in society that we know that need, need help. And we as Americans, through charities, have helped them. But if you say to somebody, I'm just going to give you money, you don't have any value to, to trade value for value, I think that takes away the dignity of the person. And um, so, as you mentioned, this looks really good. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and was talking about another nonprofit and looked at the board. It made people feel good, administrations making handsome salaries, but it's not really solving the problem. Because if you solve the problem, all that goes away, right? Absolutely. And I just like to throw in, too, 
about 23, 24 years ago, best practices said that people that were in mental institutions, they would do better if they were in the community living among people. So at that time, you started to see the beds disappear in right. mental institutions. The reality is that there are many people that actually need constant oversight and inpatient, and we're really not providing that right now. And I actually, I think it's really cruel. I do, too. I think it's cruel. So we're going to go to break. Uh, this show, I know, is going to go by very quickly. In studio with me is a former Lakewood City Councilwoman, former state legislature, legislator, Ramey Johnson, and Laura Stack. She's the founder of Johnny's Ambassadors. It's April 20th. I'm going to ask Laura, what's the significance of that? We'll be right back. Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families. Mary Alpers and Steve Cruz at Three Points Financial specialize in investment strategies, tax planning and preparation, and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions. Tax laws have changed and will continue to change. Inflation is real. Three Points Financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success. For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at threepointsfinancial.com. That's threepointsfinancial.com. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure to check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim as well. Thank you to all of you who support us and join us. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, be sure and check out our website, my website, Kim Munson.com. We have the information there for our media training workshop, which is April 30th. You can register there. In studio with me is uh, Ramey Johnson. She is former city councilwoman in Lakewood, also a former state legislator. And we're going to be talking about the issue of marijuana. And Laura Stack is also in studio with me. And uh, she has is the founder of Johnny's Ambassadors. And Laura, first of all, out of tragedy, you have created something that is giving people hope. And uh, so tell us, first of all, what is the significance of April 20th? We thought it was appropriate that you both be in here on this day. So tell us about that. It's perfect to be here today. Today is 420 day, which is celebrated in marijuana culture as marijuana day. So if you are a marijuana user, today is somewhat of a holiday for you. It okay. started actually in California. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, yes, with uh, five young teens who used to get together every day after school at 420. And oh. it's of became a code word for consuming cannabis. So now there are 420 festivals and events actually throughout the United States. There's one in Denver, Colorado here, the Mile High uh, 420 Festival. And sadly, it says on the website, 21 plus recommended. So although it is illegal to consume marijuana, if you are under 21 years of age, you can get into the festival at any age. And 
there is a lot of use. They say that they can't sell the cannabis products there, but they turned a blind eye. They turn a blind eye to the use. There will be a significant amount of marijuana consumption okay. uh, in Civic Green Park today. Okay, so Woodstock marijuana or Barack Obama said that he uh, smoked marijuana. The marijuana of of that era is different than the marijuana of today, correct? Oh, yes. So tell us about that. Well, in several different ways. First, back in those days, 60s, 70s, 80s, into the into the 2000s, the content of the THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, which is the cannabinoid in the plant that makes you high, that chemical consisted of about 2 to 5% potency of the plant. So with combustion, if you smoked a joint back then, you could consume around 5 milligrams of THC in a joint. Fast forward to today, the botanists got a hold of it and figured out that people really wanted the good stuff, right? Okay. They wanted marijuana that was more potent, that had a higher THC content. So you can walk into a dispensary here uh, in Colorado and buy 28% THC, 35% THC just in the flower. There is one grower who is bragging he's cultivated a 40% THC strain. So just to start, the plant itself is so much stronger. You can't purchase the type of marijuana that existed in Woodstock. It just doesn't exist. This is never the stuff that 100 years ago would be out in nature. Okay, It's incredibly potent. But then some very smart people figured out how to extract just the chemical, toss the plant, and create all of these newfangled products that didn't even exist. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment in 2015 started to track dabbing. That was the first year. So that was only seven years ago okay. that these new concentrates came out. So wax, shatter, butter, live resin, sugar, butane hash oil, all of these products, of course, are not natural. They are chemicals. They're made in a lab, and dabs are a slang term for inhaling a very small amount, thus a dab, of a concentrated marijuana product. And they can be 80%, 90%. There are crystals, for example, that look like crack that are 99% pure THC. Kim, this is a different drug. It is apples and oranges. It's not even in the same ballpark. I know a number of kids that have gone off to college and have been told, I imagine by friends, professors, that marijuana is natural. But what you're describing is doesn't sound as natural to me. Well, no, it's not natural at all. The dabs are made in a lab. They are made with very sophisticated instrumentation. There are... I would just say that it's, it's, it's a bit of an ignorance, and I know that because I was ignorant. As a mom, when my son first used marijuana when he was 14 years old at high school party because his friend's brother had a med card at 18 years old by lying and saying he had a, a medical migraine. card where he could buy. Correct. Okay. Legally walk into a dispensary at 18 years old and buy vapes, uh, very high potency distillates, okay. um, tinctures. There are so many products available today that people wouldn't even recognize if you walk into a dispensary. If you haven't been in one recently, I highly recommend a field trip so that you can get educated. As okay. I was not as a parent, I used marijuana twice when I was 18 in high school. I didn't like it. I didn't use it after that. So if you haven't been in a dispensary since 2015, you probably have never even seen of or heard of 
these dabs, a lot of times parents just say, I have no idea what you're talking about. So it's an old frame of reference that causes uh-huh. people to sure. say it's natural. Got it. Okay. Ramey, let's, let's talk um, a little bit about how did you get connected with Laura? We met about a year and a half ago. I had heard about Johnny's Ambassadors, and I was extremely impressed. Laura and I met, and when she explained to me what she was doing, um, I realized she is one of the answers to try and turn things around. Basically, Laura is involved in education regarding the impacts of marijuana. And she speaks in schools. She does public speaking to talk about what's really going on with this. And in the long end of this, that's actually what's going to turn this around, is education of people. When you sat on city council in Lakewood, uh, do you feel that there is a connection between marijuana use and homelessness? Yes, I do. Um, People that are congregated in a homeless-type situation, they not only have substance abuse with drugs, but marijuana is a big piece of what's going on with that as well. Although in trying to study from this, it does not appear that you naturally, and Laura might want to weigh in on this because I think that she's extremely um, educated, that you don't necessarily go to hard drugs uh, from marijuana. But marijuana, oftentimes you will you will have hard drugs, but that doesn't mean that you're going to leave marijuana behind and go to hard drugs. Marijuana is everywhere. Okay, yeah, it is. When I was downtown, uh, going down to the Capitol, um, could smell it. Definitely. So, uh, so I'll address that. Do you is marijuana? I've heard this. Is marijuana a gateway dra- drug to uh, other drugs, or what do you think about that, Laura? Yes, a lot of the pro-marijuana proponents will say, oh, you know, marijuana is not a gateway drug. Just because you use marijuana doesn't necessarily mean you will go on to harder drugs. And that's actually true. What a gateway means is that people who are using harder drugs, when you ask someone, for example, a heroin user, did you just suddenly one day decide to shoot up with heroin? Mm -hmm. They will tell you, no, of course not. I started out with something more benign. I usually started with marijuana. When marijuana use is excessive in the period of brain formation in adolescence, it actually deregulates a lot of the receptors where marijuana binds, called the cannabinoid one. So there are fewer receptors, and so your natural anandamide and endocannabinoid system doesn't have as many places to bind. Therefore, you can't get as high as you used to get with the THC. So frequently, many marijuana users go on to use other things. And of course, in youth, this is quite concerning. And the CDC has now come out with a statement we know from the Healthy Risk Youth Behavioral Survey that lifetime marijuana use is now the number one risk factor of whether a high school teen will have abused opioids in the past 30 days, not mar- not alcohol. In other words, if a teen has ever used marijuana is the number one predictor of whether they will abuse opioids, not alcohol. It's now the number one gateway drug, and that is according to the Centers for Disease Control 2019 Healthy Risk Youth Behavioral Survey. Okay. Well, we're going to go to break here uh, because I want to talk about Johnny's Ambassadors. I think that's really important. And obviously, since uh, Johnny's death, you've become an expert 
on on of this. Sorts. Yes, of <laughs> sorts. Before we do that, though, um, I have several great sponsors, and one of those great sponsors is Hooters Restaurants. They have five locations. That's Loveland, Westminster, Aurora, Lone Tree, and Colorado Springs. And today is Wings Day Wednesday. You buy 20 wings, you get 10 for free. I particularly like the crispy smoked wings with the lemon rub or the Texas rub on those. And when the girls come over on Wednesday nights, uh, they are a real treat. So Hooters Restaurants, they're great sponsors of both the Kim Munson Show as well as America's Veteran Stories. And uh, I, I have a lot of great sponsors. Another great sponsor is Kirsch Insurance Group. They're a specialist in the Medicare arena. Government's involved in the Medicare, so it's complicated. It's really good to have somebody on your side of the table who is a professional. It doesn't cost you anything, and they work with a number of the carriers, probably most of the carriers here in Colorado, and that's Kirsch Insurance Group. Uh, And Naomi and uh, Danielle, Marlon, they can all help you out. It's a great big team over there. Uh, Their website is ikirsch.com. That's I-K-I-R-S-C-H.com, ikirsch.com. We'll be right back with Laura Stack and Ramey Johnson. The Metro home ownership real estate market is very tight right now. That's why Kim Munson recommends you have seasoned REMAX realtor Karen Levine on your side of the table. Karen Levine will help you navigate through the many details of your home buying experience so that you can successfully pursue your American dream. Because Karen Levine cares about property rights for each individual, she volunteers hundreds of hours to represent home ownership opportunities at the local, county, state, and national levels. If you are considering buying or selling your home, call Karen Levine today at 303-877-7516. Again, that's 303-877-7516. You'd like to get in touch with one of the sponsors of the Kim Munson Show, but you can't remember their phone contact or website information. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Well, welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com as well. Thank you to all of you who support us. Uh, in studio with me is Ramey Johnson, a former a city councilwoman in Lakewood, as well as a former state legislator, and Laura Stack, who is the founder of Johnny's Ambassadors. And my friends, remember the last segment uh, of the show, 303-477-5600. Love to hear from you. But Laura Stack, uh, breaks my heart. Um, So tell us about Johnny. Johnny was um, an amazing young man. He started using marijuana at 14, and he died at 19. And in that five years, um, every parent's worst nightmare, just a struggle trying to help him. Treatments, doctors, programs, therapists, uh, three mental hospital stays, uh, a suicide attempt, a psychotic break, uh, and, and really being so desperate to understand what was happening and how can this be uh, related to marijuana, and and it didn't even really click until the doctor wrote in his diagnosis from the mental hospital, THC abuse severe. There was nothing else in his blood. His THC levels were off the chart from dabbing and vaping marijuana. He became psychotic and thought the mob was after him, uh, that his university was an FBI base, that everybody knew everything about him. And Everyone goes, oh, he must have gotten a hold of some bad stuff. You know, it must have been like THC laced with fentanyl or something on the street or, 
you know, some sort of black market. And it's not. He found it. We found out, sadly, after he died, that he had gotten his own medical marijuana card when he turned 18. And we got into his phone after his death, thanks to a friend who was a cybersecurity expert and found on Snapchat that that's where he was dealing, sadly. He had become the 18-year-old with a medical marijuana card that was now providing marijuana to the kids in high school. He was legally buying marijuana at a dispensary, and he had no medical conditions. Not, I have no idea how he got a hold of a medical marijuana card. Mm-hmm. He had no mental health. It wasn't until probably about two and a half years after he started using that we started to notice um, you know, him start to withdraw, uh, become isolated, and not be involved in the activities that used to give him joy. But before that, he was involved in sports. He ran cross country and track. He was a brown green belt in karate. He had a 4.0 GPA all through school until his senior year of high school. He got a perfect SAT score in math, 800 out of 800. Mm-hmm. He had a scholarship to Colorado State University. We're a Christian family. He he uh, we were he raised was raised in the church. We taught Sunday school. Like everyone says, oh, that would never happen, you know, to my kid because you know my kid is a straight A student. Well, so was mine. Or mine is a a Christian. Or mine's involved in activities. He was a, a wonderful young man and and unfortunately derailed. Okay, so after his death, you founded Johnny's Ambassadors. Tell us about that. Yes, I did a Facebook post about six months after his death. Um, because I'm a writer and uh, had been a professional speaker for 30 years prior to this. And simply put, has anyone ever heard of dabbing? Because I didn't know about it until four years after Johnny started using and put a couple links. And it got 21,000 shares. It's still on my Facebook post and 5,000 comments that basically said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And that was the genesis of Johnny's Ambassadors, me realizing, wow, the research that I've done in this very short amount of time, I feel now I've gained pretty much a clinical uh, in, in youth marijuana prevention, but I decided that I needed to warn other parents about what happened to my son, uh, that there is a five-fold increase in psychosis, that there is a seven-fold increase in suicidal thinking and attempts, and sadly, suicide, and in Colorado, suicide is the number one cause of death in our youth. Mm-hmm ages 10 through 19, and 51% of them have THC in their toxicology reports. Oh, my gosh. Ramey Johnson, I know that you've looked at this from a public policy standpoint, statistics. What's your thoughts about this? Well, I couldn't be more excited that Laura is getting involved in this issue, Kim. Um, About seven years ago, I was the chairman of the Jefferson County Marijuana Task Force. It was an ad hoc committee, and you are absolutely correct. Everybody should visit a dispensary. With that role, we did, as a group, go to a dispensary in Wheat Ridge, and it was unbelievable to me. When you walk in, there was um, a case there with different products in it. There was a white line in the middle of the floor, and if you stood on one side of the white line, you were buying medical. If you stood on the other side of the white line, you were buying recreational. And they had edibles, you know, little Mm -hmm. gummy bears. They had brownies. 
And as a nurse, I asked the man, I says, what are the most reasons why people are buying these products for medical? And he says, well, there's a lot of muscle pain, joint pain, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I says, well, how much, how do you know how big of a brownie a person should eat? And he said, well, we start out with like a fourth of a brownie and then go from there. Basically, they are dispensing a drug in disguise as a brownie. Mm -hmm. And that really kind of introduced me to the marijuana um, culture, if Mm -hmm. you will. And then about three years ago, I had a marijuana summit in which we tried to do some education at that time, uh, talking about what the reality of marijuana really is. I would just like to say in response to something that um, Laura said, I have data from HIDA, high-intensity data uh, tracking area, and it's ta- or drug, tra- drug trafficking area. And one of the things, the data that's the most recent is from 20, but it, the report just came out in 21, and it said past month marijuana use for ages 12 and older increased 26% in Colorado, and Colorado is 61% higher than the national average. Colorado is ranked third in the nation for marijuana use in this group. It's not a distinction that we really need to have. Also, past month uses, 17.4% of our population in Colorado uses marijuana. Nationally, it is 10.8. And another thing I think that's interesting, perceptions of risk for marijuana, for smoking marijuana, 17.7% people feel like there's a problem there. However, this compared to 24.4% nationally. If people think that there's not an issue in future issues for marijuana use, they don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And in Colorado, the perception of what it actually can do to you is lower than, than nationally. We've got a lot of education to do. Well, and Laura Stack, that's where you're at, is you're really focusing on, and I have to, you know, I, I'm a conservative, but yet I I have some libertarian tendencies where I, I think people should be responsible for their own lives, make their own decisions, uh, and, but yet if people are making a decision as adults, marijuana use, and they can't take care of themselves and they're looking to all everybody else for public programs you can't have a free society and an unresponsible society as well i I don't yeah but but where you're really focused is on youth yes that's that's where you're where you're at on that is educating youth uh you know it's very similar if you look at an entire industry take um pornography you you can't attack the entire industry you'll never get rid of all pornography but you can say I'm against child pornography and I think in general most people would agree with that I except for those that are are, criminals (laughs) well and and and, and, and also what we're seeing though in uh, the sex education bill that went through Colorado mm. and and that's a whole different subject though I think yes so it's it's very much like that and what's really odd is that in the marijuana industry you know that we i'm very much like you in that hey if if you're an adult um and and it's legal and you choose to use it 
you you know there there is never a guarantee that anyone will be safe from marijuana use and there is a much higher risk for youth and because of what happened to Johnny uh, because of our experience and the research that I've done that's where we've really honed in and even the pro pot um, proponents will say and do say to me we do not advocate for child use of marijuana there are very few people who will actually say to my face yes i think a child should use marijuana they just they don't now they want them to they want them in many ways they must addict the new generation they go oh we don't market to children but yet you can get into the 420 mile high festival today uh without being id'd so there are Uh, ways that they can target them their biggest user 18 to 24 right they need to get them using marijuana Mm -hmm. and sadly at 14 15 16 17 the brain is incredibly vulnerable because of its state of development Mm -hmm. going through a process uh, and and the the science is more complicated you know synaptogenesis apoptosis myelination we're not going to go through that but basically the brain has not organized pruned developed and protected itself so it's much more vulnerable to an onslaught of thc in it in fact changes the development of the adolescent mind we know from mri studies at 14 and then again at 19 depending on how many times a youth used marijuana during that period there is a thinning of the prefrontal cortex and it is not recovered it can be improved the brain is quite plastic but until the age of 25 for young women and 28 to 30 for young men that brain continues to form and we know that there is no safe level of THC in the developing adolescent brain so that is our focus to really get teens to understand neurology science we have a scientific advisory board of medical doctors. I'm not a clinician. I have you had sound to do like one. <laughs> a great. Oh no, I have an MBA. <laughs> I am a businesswoman, and that enabled me to start the nonprofit. But I've had to do a great deal of learning. So that's where focus is to teach teens. You know, they don't respond well to don't do drugs. Drugs right. are bad. You know, marijuana hurts your brain. And when Johnny told me he used marijuana at the party, I, I have to admit my first thought was. Oh, thank God, it's just weed. And I was so wrong. Mm -hmm. I was so very wrong. And I am committed for the rest of my life to talk to parents and educate them about what I didn't know and to tell teens about what can happen. They're actually quite fascinated with neurology. When I go to schools, middle schools and high schools, and do slideshows and show pictures of the brains and MRIs, they're like, whoa, and it actually makes them sit up a little bit more alertly uh, and pay attention. And I interweave Johnny's story. It's not a scare tactic. Um, It's not an attempt to make them sad, but just look at how similar this young man was to you, Uh right? He was a wonderful young man. And he never thought it would happen to him. Yeah, yeah. You know, it can happen to anyone. So how can people, well, I guess a couple of things. If a school was interested in having you come and speak, how, how, how can that happen? Oh, gosh. Well, they can go to uh, my website, Johnny's Ambassadors, no apostrophe, Johnny's Ambassadors.org. And my email is Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at 
johnniesambassadors.org. I travel uh, all over the United States now that COVID restrictions have been list- lifted. You don't I've have been, to wear a mask on a plane I now. I know, it's wonderful. <laughs> I've been to New Jersey and New York and Montana last week and just spoke at uh, Chaparral High School in Parker in Colorado. Um, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. I speak more around the United States than I do in Colorado. I it's wonder. a really strange thing. It's it's so politically charged in the schools and, and so many, sadly, parents are using, they don't want us to tell their youth in many instances wow. that it's bad or that it's harmful because in many cases they're doing it or they're simply uninformed about the risks of brain development in their youth and even provide it for their teens. What about parents that are saying, oh my gosh, my story is is Laura's story. My child is using right now. Yeah. Do you have a resource to help them? Oh my, we have 7,000 of those parents so far. We've been in business for two years. We have 7,000 ambassadors. We have a monthly support group for parents of children of cannabis-induced psychosis. Right now, there are 260 parents in that group whose children are in psychosis in mental hospitals right now dealing with that. So yes, we have those programs, we have cessation programs, we have referral um, sources, networks, a very active Facebook group. Oh gosh, 2,100 people now in our Facebook who talk about oh my gosh this is this is my story medications what do you do what boundaries do you set you know it's a they're a very vocal that's got to be really really helpful so what is that website again laura stack johnniesambassadors.org johnniesambassadors.org thank you and you're going to stay in studio because we're going to go into our call-in segment here 303-477-5600 ramey johnson you have you've served our communities because you care so much about people. How would you like to button up this segment for you? Thank you. I think in conclusion, it is unlikely that we are going to be able to have any kind of initiative or referendum on the ballot to back us out of Amendment 64. However, right now, our biggest ally are people like Laura that are doing education and like you that is giving this airtime because the more that people understand what the impacts are and what's actually going on with marijuana, the more they'll start to wake up and perhaps at some point in the future we can actually get to the point where we can back out Amendment 64 from our Colorado Constitution. Okay. Uh, Remy Johnson, great to have you here. Laura Stack, great to have you here. You're both going to stay here. We're going to go to break. When we come back, it is our call-in segment, uh, 303-477-5600. We talked about election integrity in the first segment. We talked about Jen uh, Saki and uh, her Academy Award-winning performance uh, regarding uh, Florida and their legislation on trying to say that we're not going to teach little kids all different kinds of sex acts and sex stuff. Uh, Anyway, I want to hear from you. 303-477-5600. We'll be right back. Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, it's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. 
Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881. Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And uh, sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson dot com. And thank you to all of you who support us. In studio with me is Ramey Johnson, uh, former city councilwoman in Lakewood and former state legislator. And Laura Stack, founder of Johnny's Ambassadors. We've just had an important conversation regarding youth, marijuana use. Johnny in Denver is on the line. Johnny, welcome to the show. Yes, uh, welcome, uh, ladies, to the show. What I what I had heard was um, at the uh, 420 today, they have people they can only get in if they emailed, and so they get they collect all these emails, and of course they're going to be lax on checking IDs, and I don't know if anybody's going to be down there to videotape uh, many teenagers going in there, but it, it's a, a definite correlation to there's going to be a lot of kids missing from school today to go down to that that event. And they took a survey and they found out that 40% of kids went down there in in, uh, 2019 to that event uh, because the teacher says, well, I'm gonna be there. And so they said, well, hey, let us go down there. Interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Just very interesting. Any comments on that, Laura? They, They are not checking IDs. Uh, it's a very sad state of affairs that, you know, it, you have to be 21 to drink. And it does say 21 ID required to drink. But to get into the festival, he's correct. It just says 21 recommended. They are not checking IDs. Children can be there. And it, it's a sad commentary on how normalized the marijuana industry wants marijuana use to become. That if you are a child and you are holding your parents' hand and you can walk in at five years old and see people using marijuana, because he's correct, they will not be. They, they turn a blind eye. They say um, that it's not to sell um, and, and it, you know, they are not having usage. But, of course, that's why people go there. I was I thought now I'm not sure we want to give the location, but I guess if you're going to go there, you're going to know what it is anyway. So where is this at? You know, I believe this year it's at Civic uh, Green. Yeah. Um, so it's is that a public park or? Yeah, it's a public park. It's where the homeless used to camp yeah. out. Civic it's Center right Park. It's from me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hear the concert whether I want to hear it or not. Yes. Um, because I'm just right up the street from there. And uh, what I understand about young people, because I, I, when I was 14 years old, I, young people used to smoke marijuana. And people, it's just an escape from reality. And I was never a person that wanted to escape 
from reality using drugs because I saw how dangerous it was because it, uh, drugs led to, to my blindness as a six-year-old when doctors gave me legal drugs that uh, burnt me from the inside out. And so I had a real strong diversion from any kind of drugs whatsoever. Um, so for young people, they just don't don't know, they don't know the severity of how it's doing it because they can't see the destruction that is doing it inside their, their minds, inside their emotions when they want to fade away for a while. So, Johnny, a couple of things, and I'm so glad that you called. I was thinking about you this morning. You are running for the state. I really appreciate you uh, doing what you're doing, and um, continue on. Well, Johnny, don't leave yet, because I was thinking about you this morning. Thank you. Uh, And um, you're running for State House, which I think is so great. But I didn't get the exact website, and I want to make sure that people know what your website is. Okay, it's Johnny with the I-E. So it's J O H N I E, is that right? No. J O H N N I E. Okay. J O H N N I E, okay. And then J F O R Colorado House District Five. Is Colorado spelled out? Yes. Colorado House District Five. And that's how people uh Dot com is that dot com then? Yes. Okay. So J O H N N I E J F O R then Colorado spelled out H D five. Yes. Awesome, Johnny. Thanks so much for calling. Oh, God bless. I so appreciate you. Uh, we've got uh, probably room for two or three calls. Three zero three four seven seven fifty six hundred. Three zero three four seven seven fifty six hundred. And I've gotten to know Johnny over the years. He's been a listener of the show for many years and. Uh, kind of an amazing story. He was, I should have kept him on the line, but he was given um, a legal drug by their doctor, and I can't remember what was going on with him, but it actually uh, did cause his blindness. And so he's been very concerned about forced vaccinations as well as uh, this marijuana use. So um, just a remarkable story. We've got other callers uh, calling in right now, 303-477-5600. Steve's going to get them up on the board. Uh, but ladies, this is a this is such an important subject. And Raby, you have such a, a love for our, our youth and our community. So let's let's see who our next people are here. We have uh, we have Yvonne in Fort Collins. Yvonne in Fort Collins, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kim. Again, a phenomenal show, and Laura is incredible. And actually, I may have interpreted for her in Northern Colorado many, many years ago, or somebody just like her, because the story sounds very, very familiar. And I want her and your audience to know that ever since I heard what she had to say, I have been speaking to everybody within my sphere of influence every single time I hear somebody is using marijuana, especially if they're young people. I hope to God that I've saved a life somewhere, but because before being an interpreter, I spent 20 years as a first responder, and I'm tired of watching coroners zip up those body bags. Just last last fall, uh, a young man who was also 19 in my neighborhood who who had known my son, they grew up together, had a quote-unquote accidental overdose, whatever that means. I didn't want to pry, but you can, I think I know what that means. 
and uh, and it was my understanding he was using. So it's exactly what she said. Exactly. They start, you know, and then they move on to something else, and this stuff is coming over the border, and this stuff is poison, and, and, and it's poison, and people need to know that, and this information needs to be circulated. Bless her heart. Oh, thank you, Yvonne in Fort Collins. Thank you. You're doing great work. And uh, let's go over to Tito in Colorado Springs. Tito in Colorado Springs, what's on your radar? Hi, Kim. Good morning. Great show today. Thank you. Um, the, sec- the segment about uh, marijuana, I did not get the, uh, the organization of the lady who lost her son. Um, it would be nice if you can repeat the name of that website. Most definitely. Laura, what is that website? It's Johnny's, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S, Ambassadors, A-M-B-A-S-S-O-R-D-O-R-S dot org. Johnny's Ambassadors dot org. Thank you so, so, so much. So Excellent. T- and um, just uh, continuing with the previous caller, well, before the previous caller, uh, someone talked about um, public events in the Colorado area, you know, Denver, Greenwood Village, et cetera. Um, has your organization, Laura, ever thought about creating T-shirts that can educate the public? Because if you go and try to find a anti-420 uh, T-shirt, you just won't be able to find them. I think this will be a great way of um, educating a lot of these young children that are getting hooked on marijuana today. You know, for, for instance, I love going to festivals, and there's marijuana everywhere. But I'm a strong, belie- a strong believer that marijuana, it is a gateway ro- drug. But if you don't educate these children, they will continue that path. So it would be a great idea if your organization can actually um, uh, sell or open donation, um, uh, distribute these T-shirts that people can bring to concerts and talk about the danger of, of marijuana that has been sold in the streets today. Yes, uh, thank ahead. you. And we do. We sell T-shirts at johnnysambassadors.org. Okay. Yes, if you go... Under our uh, join menu, you'll see where our gear. Uh, we use hashtag stop dabbing, and we have all kinds of different T-shirts. We also have uh, anti-420 events uh, that we host nationally. In fact, we have an event tonight. Uh, if you go to johnnysambassadors.org slash webinars, you can sign your team up uh, for an encouraging message. So, Tito, clearly Wonderful. you you and Laura, great minds think alike regarding the T-shirt. So thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Have a good day. Okay, you too. We're out of time. Uh, but Laura Stack, you've got about 15 seconds. Final thought? Final thought is get educated yourself. It's imperative that every adult who has teens in their life understand how different marijuana products are today and how it impacts teen brain development and to try to reduce use. Okay. And Ramey Johnson, thanks for being here. Your final thought, about 15 seconds. Thank you. Education is the answer. Ultimately, I would love to see uh, Amendment 64 backed out of our Constitution. Okay. And uh, ladies, great to have you here. Our quote for the end of the day is Epictetus. It says, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it is what matters. So today, my friends, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America. Young
Tell them if I don't serve 